0: So to be able to be here with all of you is such a treat. So thank you for that. And I, I, again, I just want to reiterate what God did at the Refresh Conference was so sweet and so fruitful and so encouraging for me. You know, I have, I have the, the privilege of being able to travel to different countries and to see what God is doing. And let me encourage you. You know, I, I know that sometimes, you know, when we're just kind of feeling like we're stuck in our geographical context, that we can begin to lose sight of the bigger body of Christ and we think that we're the only ones doing what we're doing, we're the only people that are gathering. But let me tell you, there are people all over the world that love Jesus and they're gathering just like this to worship the same person we've gathered to worship. And so just remember, we are part of a bigger body, we're part of a bigger family and and, uh, and, and I say that because sometimes we could approach life with a defeated attitude. But you know what? I've read the end of the book and Jesus wins. And it's really important that we remember that, especially as the world around us seems like it's just caving in and there's just all this chaos. Listen, Jesus wins. And, and especially, you know, I, I have the privilege of being the college and young adults pastor at our church down in Southern California down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And, and I remember when I walked into that position, um, you know, uh, about two, two and a half years ago, um, a lot of the, the noise, the chatter I was hearing from different people is um, a lot of people were just complaining about the millennials. They were complaining about Generation Z, and they're saying, yikes, this is the demise, the end of the church. But wait a minute. Again, the Bible tells us because Jesus wins, the church wins. There is no demise for the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So rather than giving up on our young people, we should be investing in our young people, right? Because they're the future. And if the church is going to move forward, it's going to move forward with what Jesus is doing in and through them. And that's why I just want to say, not only am I blessed to be here, but I'm so blessed and so encouraged to see so many of you young adults here today. And so I'm looking forward to just all that God is wanting to do here. I really believe it's going to be a fruitful time. So this morning, will you turn to the book of Psalms with me? And I'm going to have us turn to Psalm 22, but we're not going to stay in Psalm 22. We're actually going to be spending time this morning in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Psalm 22 23 and 24 and the reason why we're going to be looking at these three Psalms together is because I believe that these three Psalms are intended to be read and studied together these three Psalms they form a trilogy. And I've entitled this message, The Jesus Trilogy, Sacrifice, Shepherd, and Sovereign. So um, I'm going to start this morning by reading from three passages in each of these psalms. The first is Psalm 22 verses 14 through 19, and then we'll look at Psalm 23, verse 1, and then we're going to read Psalm 24, verses 9 and 10. And after we read these scriptures, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our message, the Jesus Trilogy. So first, Psalm 22, beginning in verse 14. It reads, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and from my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, Do not be far from me, O my strength, hasten to help me. Now go to Psalm 23 and we're just going to read one verse there, probably one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now one more passage, Psalm 24 verses 9 and 10. Psalm 24 verses 9 and 10, we read, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather like this on this day, Sunday. And Lord, the church has been doing this for over 2,000 years, and we're just so just honored to be a part of it, that we gather on sunday because jesus king jesus rose again from the dead on sunday and we're here to celebrate that we're here to confess that and we're here to join the millions of other believers that are jesus worshipers jesus people on sunday declaring the reality that our god reigns and our king lives And so I pray that your spirit will come and use the word of God to direct our attention to King Jesus, that your spirit will bring clarity, understanding of these verses, these passages that we're going to be spending time in today. And Lord, lead us and empower us to apply, to obey your word. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless Christ the church community Uh, or uh, uh, Christ the King Community Church, and we pray that you'll bless Calvary Chapel of the Sunshine Coast right now and in both places that Christ will be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by way of introduction, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are each called a Psalm of David, right? And so that means that David is the author. He's the penman of these three psalms that we have in the Bible. And so when we think about Psalm 22, David wrote Psalm 22 as a fugitive while he was being hunted by a jealous king named Saul. Psalm 23, he wrote it with personal memories of being a shepherd in the fields of Bethlehem. And Psalm 24, David wrote that psalm as the king of Israel, possibly when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Now, in each of these psalms, David expressed his thoughts, his feelings, his hope in God. But let's remember that these psalms, however, contain something more than just David's thoughts and feelings. These three psalms—Psalm 23, or Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24—they testify of Jesus. These three Psalms are called Messianic Psalms. Now, this means that they contain details about God's Messiah who will come to save sinners from their sins and bring God's glorious kingdom to the earth. And listen, 1,000 years after these Psalms were written, God sent his Messiah into the world and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and listen, and the Psalms concerning me. And so, because Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are all about Jesus, we also see the connection in these three Psalms that they form a trilogy. And I see in these three Psalms the Jesus Trilogy. In Psalm 22, we see Jesus, our sacrifice. He suffered and died on the cross to deliver us from sin and death. And then from Psalm 22, we move into Psalm 23, and there we see Jesus, our shepherd, He leads us, he nourishes us, he protects us, he cares for us through life. And then we move into Psalm 24 and we see that Jesus is our sovereign. He is the king of glory who will bring God's kingdom to earth. So the Jesus Trilogy, Psalm 22, Jesus, our sacrifice. Psalm 23, Jesus, our shepherd. Psalm 24, Jesus, our sovereign. And these are the things that we want to spend this morning talking about, thinking about, wrapping our minds and hearts around. So here we go. Number one, who is Jesus? Jesus is our sacrifice. We see it in Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 is called the Psalm of the Cross. It tells us about Jesus' death on the cross, right? And there are four words I see um, that sum up the message of Psalm 22. These four words are crucifixion, separation, completion, and resurrection. Crucifixion, separation, completion, and resurrection. First, we see crucifixion in Psalm 22. The details of crucifixion are given to us in verses 14 through 18. Now, Psalm 22 was written about 500 years before crucifixion was invented. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. And Roman crucifixion combined brutality torture, shame, and death. In fact, the words excruciating and crucifixion, those two words are related to each other. And listen, Roman crucifixion is what happened to Jesus 1,000 years after this psalm was written. And I'll tell you, fulfilled prophecy testifies to the reliability of the Bible. And Psalm 22 tells us what happened to Jesus at his crucifixion. In verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Listen, when Jesus was erected upright on the cross, there was tremendous strain that was put on the wrists and the arms and the shoulders resulting in the dislocation of his shoulder and his elbow joints. But the psalm also says in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Listen, Jesus suffered severe loss of blood due to the beatings and the floggings that he had endured. And as a result, he felt extreme dehydration and loss of strength. In Psalm 22, verse 16, he says, they pierced my hands and feet. And we all understand crucifixion. Nails were driven through the hands and the feet of Jesus to fasten him to a wooden cross. We see in Luke 24, verse 39, that he was crucified, and that is how people are crucified. In Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, he says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, oh, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You could hear the sarcasm in the, those words. Mockers ridiculed Jesus while he was suffering and dying on the cross. His f- disciples had abandoned him. The majority of people that were around him were his enemies. Verse 16 says, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me again. Jesus' enemies surrounded him like wild, savage dogs surrounding their prey. In verse 17 of Psalm 22, the Messiah says, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. This tells us that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. And this was fulfilled, right? We read in John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37, this is a historical eyewitness account. And John tells us that Jesus' legs were not broken to hasten his death. Instead, he was pierced through with a Roman spear to confirm his death. Psalm 22, verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And you remember there, at the crucifixion of Jesus, Roman soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothing during Jesus' death on the cross. So, what is the message of Psalm 22? Number one, crucifixion. But number two, I see the word Separation. In Psalm 22, verse 1, it opens with those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we know from the Gospels in Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, that Jesus cried those words out 1,000 years later after this psalm was written. And we see in Psalm 22 that these words are connected to verse 3, you are holy. It's because God is holy and Jesus became our sin that that separation existed. Listen, Jesus became sin for us. I can't wrap my mind around that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin first. I cannot wrap my mind around that. Jesus became my lie without becoming a liar. He became my theft without becoming a thief. He became my sexual sin without becoming a pervert. He became my arrogance without becoming Arrogant. He became my sin without becoming a sinner. He became my sin and he endured God's punishment for sin in our place. In this, he experienced separation from God as he was drinking to the very last drop the cup of God's wrath. You know what was happening at the cross? God was treating Jesus as if he lived our sinful life so that he can treat you and me as if we lived his sinless life. This is what John Calvin called the great exchange. And so Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So none of us would ever have to cry those words out forever in hell. Crucifixion. Separation. But number three, completion. Completion, in verse 31, it says, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. Notice, he looks forward to a future generation. That's you, that's me. And here are the words, that he has done this. The words he has done this is one word in Hebrew, asah. The Hebrew word asah could be translated, it is finished. Sound familiar? It is finished. These are the closing words of Psalm 22, and these were the final words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. What's finished? The Old Testament prophecies about the suffering servant are fulfilled. It is finished. Jesus' sacrificial atoning work on the cross is completed. It is finished. And the ransom for our redemption is paid in full. It is finished. And the wrath of God has been satisfied. It is finished. Listen, the message of the gospel is not do, do, do. The message of the gospel is done. It is finished. Psalm 22, crucifixion, separation, completion. One more, resurrection. Resurrection. In verses 19 through 22, we read, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. I want you to see that the psalmist prayed, help me, deliver me, save me. And then in verse 21, we see that God answered him. You see, God rescued David. But remember, this psalm isn't just about David. The psalm is about Jesus, and we know that God rescued Jesus. He rescued him from his enemies, death, and the grave. We just celebrated this a couple weeks ago, right? Three days after Jesus died on the cross, God raised his son, Jesus, from the dead, and Jesus is risen and alive forevermore. And we are proclaiming that today and every Sunday when we gather to worship King Jesus. We don't just meet on Sundays because we think it's a good idea. We gather on Sunday as a constant proclamation to a world that doesn't know the same Jesus that we know to say we believe that Jesus is alive, that he is risen from the dead, and there is no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved. So yeah, it's a big deal that we gather on Sundays. Jesus is risen from the dead. And listen, here in Psalm 22, verse 22, we see that the risen Jesus speaks. How do I know that Psalm 22, verse 22 is Jesus talking? Because these same words are quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, quoting Psalm 22, it tells us that Jesus is speaking these words. So I want you to see that the risen Jesus is proclaiming and praising. What is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming, I will declare your name to my brethren. But listen to him praise. To me, this is one of the most wonderful descriptions of Jesus. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Jesus speaking to God the Father, saying when when the church gathers, when God's people gather, I'm not only going to be there with them, but I'm going to be among them. And when the church is praising you, Father, I'm going to be in their midst praising you too. Like, how many of us thought about that even this morning as we gathered for worship? And and if we really did understand that principle, I wonder how that would even impact and change the way we think about praise. I mean, think about a church that you walk into, and it's just... The music is happening and people have no, they in their mind, it's like they can't think of any reason to praise him and their arms are folded and they're just looking at their watches thinking like, when's the music time going to be over? And you could have a whole group of people like that, but I'll tell you what, praise is still happening. Even if no one else is doing it, in that room, sitting next to you, in your midst is King Jesus, praising the Father because he's worthy of, because he's that big and he's that glorious and that great. I don't know about you, but if Jesus is next to me praising the Father, I want to join him praising the Father too. Why is the church so mute when the Father is so great? Jesus, the risen king. He identifies himself with his church. And he says, "I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers." And every time you get together for church, I just want you to know one thing. I'm going to be there with you, but man, when, when Joel starts leading worship, when he picks up that guitar and he just starts strumming and he starts singing and we start lifting up our voices, Jesus says, I'm going to be singing right there with you to the Father because he's that big and that great. Wow. How radically different would the landscape of Christianity look if we began to understand the reality of our King on those terms? And as Psalm 22 is about crucifixion, separation, completion, and resurrection, listen, because Psalm 22 happened, we get to enjoy Psalm 23. And so now we move into Psalm 23. Psalm 22, Jesus, our sacrifice. Listen, who's Jesus? Psalm 23, Jesus, our shepherd. Jesus, our shepherd. And this is probably one of the most well-known, most beloved scriptures in the entire Bible. Not only do Christians quote from Psalm 23, but even non-Christians will quote from it. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, it begins with the words, The Lord is my shepherd. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Here we see that Jesus is God. And the fact that Jesus is identified as Lord in all caps. Remember, whenever you read the Old Testament and you see the word Lord in English in all capital letters, it's, it's written that way, it's printed that way because it's marking God's name. Now some people pronounce it Yahweh, some people pronounce it Jehovah, but it's God. And it's important for us to understand that when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about just a good moral person or teacher or a religious figure, nor is he a lowercase G-God among a bunch of other lowercase G-Gods. Jesus is the capital letter G-God. In the New Testament, God the Son manifested himself as a man called Jesus, and the Bible calls Jesus God. One example of this is 1 John 5, verse 20. In 1 John 5, 20, it says of Jesus, he is the true God and eternal life. But not only do we see that he's Yahweh, the Lord, God, but we also see he's our shepherd. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, 20, we read that Jesus is called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. And then here in Psalm 23, Jesus is called my shepherd. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, He's my shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Now listen, those words describe a special covenant relationship that exists between Jesus and us. Jesus said in John 10:11, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." And then in John 10:14, he says, "I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own." Jesus loves the world. Jesus knows everybody in the world. But the way he relates to his redeemed people, you and me, is different. The way he relates to believers is with a special covenant relationship. That's why non-Christians, when they talk about Jesus, they could talk about him as the shepherd. They could talk about him as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, but only the Christian can say he's my shepherd. You see, this personal relationship belongs only to those who are trusting in Jesus and following jesus john 10 27 jesus said my sheep hear my voice and here's how you identify who the sheep of jesus are he says they hear my voice i know them and they follow me the idea is they keep on following me does that describe you i hope it does because going to church doesn't make you a christian being religious doesn't make you a christian as long as jesus to you is simply a a person of or a matter of convenience you only pull him out when you're in desperate need or when it's convenient for you and as we said in our during the refresh conference as long as jesus only remains your back pocket jesus listen you will never know him as your shepherd because Jesus will not allow himself to be stuffed in anyone's back pocket. Shepherd means shepherd. Shepherd means leader. Shepherd means we follow him, not so much that he follows us. I love that story when Jesus showed up on, before Joshua went, to go against Jericho and you remember Jesus shows up as the captain of the Lord's army and Joshua didn't recognize him, he just saw a stranger and so Joshua confronts him and he says with his sword out, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Jesus' answer is classic. He says, no. What kind of an answer is that? No or neither. Because Joshua was asking the wrong question. It's not a matter of, are you for us or for our enemies? The real question, Joshua, is, are you for me? Because I came as the commander of the Lord's army, not to be a commanding officer in your army, Joshua. Guys, in our lives, who rules who? Who governs who? Who shepherds who? Those that have a covenant relationship with Christ as shepherd and sheep, we hear his voice and we follow him. Question Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning? One thing that I've learned over the years that I've had opportunities to visit churches and to preach is not to assume that every person in the audience is born again. Even as a Bible college professor, I'll be sitting in a classroom in a Bible college, teaching a Bible course, expecting that all Bible students that went through Bible application are all Bible-believing Christians. And I can't tell you how often, semester after semester, students come up to me at the end and said, I was born again in your class. Because I think that sometimes as long as your idea of Christianity is just stuck in religion, you'll always feel like you're okay. But the moment you encounter the real Jesus, that's when you realize, Lord, I need you to be my Savior and King. have you given your heart to Jesus? Can you say confidently, the Lord is my shepherd? Are you his sheep? But next we see in Psalm 23 that it teaches us about our shepherd, right? I mean, these are, these are the benefits that you and I as the sheep of God, we get to enjoy now. For example, number one, he satisfies us. In verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or lack. Listen, we are satisfied in Jesus. He is the bread of life who satisfies our hunger. He is the living water who satisfies our thirst. He is our life who satisfies our search for the meaning and the purpose of life. He is our beloved who satisfies our longing to be loved and to love. And we are satisfied in his care for us. He's our shepherd. He satisfies us. But he also provides safety, security, and refreshment for us. In verse 2, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is the opposite of fear, worry, anxiety, And stress. And this describes the sheep that trust their Savior remaining close to Him and and they go wherever He goes. But He also restores us. In verse 3, He says, He restores my soul. This is spiritual refreshment and renewal. He heals the broken soul, He revives the lifeless soul, and He ends the drought of the barren soul. We also see that He guides us. In verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That means that he leads us in being the right person, doing the right thing, or being in the right before God. And he does this for his glory. We also see that our shepherd is always with us. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is with us through the dark and difficult days in life. And listen, he's also with us at the end of our mortal lives on earth. Guys, let's remember death is not final. It is the hallway we go through to arrive at our true eternal home. Death is a shadow and the light of God and his kingdom dispels it. I remember in 2011 sitting bedside with my dad at Fountain Valley Regional Hospital there in Southern California as my dad, who to me was my hero and the strongest man I knew, his body had just been wasting away because of pancreatic cancer. And sitting next to him bedside, you could see that his vitals started to get less and less, and his breathing started to get more and more rapid and more complicated, and I leaned over to my dad's ears, and I said, Dad, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. And I remember being next to his cheek when my dad did. (sighs) Final breath on earth, but on the other side of that veil, for the very first time, (gasps) first breath of the oxygen of heaven as Jesus was there with them from his last moment on earth to his first moment in glory why because my dad belongs to Jesus sheep followed him for over 40 years of his life and Jesus has been his shepherd throughout his journey But he also vindicates us. In verse 5 he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Listen, our enemies, they want to make us the main course. But in Psalm 23 we see that God is going to prepare us to be the guest of honor and our enemies are going to watch as God vindicates us before them. He anoints us. He says in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. The shepherd's oil, it soothes his sheep from skin irritations caused by insects and injuries and Jesus anoints us with the oil of his spirit. And he also blesses us. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of my life. This is grace and forgiveness, generous benevolence and compassionate kindness. Jesus the shepherd Goes before us, and his sheepdogs called goodness and mercy are behind us. As you understand, we are safe and secure in Christ. And we see that he'll bring us home. Verse 6 says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, heaven is our real home, and we will live there forever. So stop trying to settle and make a life in the shadowlands. Heaven is the king's home, and that's where we belong. Because Psalm 22 happened, listen, we get to live in the reality of Psalm 23 right now, but it doesn't end there. The third installment of this trilogy is found in Psalm 24. Jesus is our sovereign. Not only our sacrifice, not only our shepherd, but also our sovereign sovereign. In Revelation 19:16, Jesus is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in this Psalm, Jesus is called the King of Glory. I can't think of a better name for this church than Christ the King. In fact, that's my favorite term for Jesus, King Jesus. That's why when people found out that I was speaking at Christ the King, people started sending these messages through email and text and social media. This is perfect. You're probably going to feel so at home there. Because here in Psalm 24, this is what it's all about. Jesus is the king. Again, he's not a back pocket savior. He's not a back pocket lord. He is the one that Isaiah saw high and lifted up on a throne. You know, that was Jesus in Isaiah 6 because John 12, 41 tells us that. John twelve forty one tells us that the Lord that Isaiah the prophet saw in Isaiah chapter six, the Lord high and lifted up, the one that was surrounded by millions and millions of angels, declaring holy, 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 inspired by the Holy Spirit. Seven hundred years later, John the apostle, with ink and parchment, writes Isaiah saw Jesus. That's where Jesus is. And there are two things that we learn about King Jesus in Psalm twenty four. First King Jesus is victorious. In verses seven and eight, it says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. These words picture a victorious King entering the city gates of his kingdom. And this is one of my favorite thoughts about King Jesus, welcoming our victorious king with adoration and celebration. Because you got to understand Jesus is our victorious king. He was victorious on the battlefield called Calvary. There he defeated Satan and sin at the cross. Colossians 2:14 and 15 says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. On the cross, King Jesus, gaining victory over the devil, disarmed him of ammunition against you and me. Do you know what the devil's ammunition against you and me has been? Guilt and shame, our sins. But what does Colossians tell us? When Jesus died on the cross, he gained victory over the devil by taking all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our shame, and he nailed it to the cross. And he disarmed the devil of his arsenal. He emptied the armory of the devil. And so you need to know that the next time the devil tries to beat you down with guilt and shame, the best he can do is shoot blanks. But the problem is is we freak out when we hear the loud pop. And so even though he's shooting blanks, we act as if we got hit by real bullets. Listen, there are no real bullets in Satan's armory because Jesus disarmed him. It's all part of walking in victory. And that's why as we keep our eyes on Jesus the victor through our trials, through our battles, through our difficulties, we echo the words of Paul, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you living in that reality today? King Jesus was victorious in the past and listen, he will be victorious in the future. He's gonna bring a final end to Satan and sin at his return and we see that in Revelation 19 through 22. But not only does Psalm 24 teach us that King Jesus is victorious one last thing and I'm done. King Jesus is glorious. King Jesus is glorious. Verses 9 and 10. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your, you everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts is the king of glory. King Jesus is all glorious in his majesty, worth, power, and splendor. That's why when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him with this language 1 Timothy 6 15 and 16. He who is the only potent, blessed, and only potentate the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And you ask me why I love Jesus? Really? I have been walking with Jesus now for a little over 40 years. In those 40 years that I have been walking with Jesus, I have experienced the broad spectrum of life and death, highs and lows, good days and bad. I've experienced trials, the depth of which I never thought that I would experience, but God allowed me to go there and he was always there in fact he was the trailblazer that was leading me through there and then i've had moments like this where i get to hang out with you in this beautiful surrounding and and i get to be at church with you on a beautiful sunday with no threats of soldiers or police breaking and rushing in through these doors to take us away for loving jesus this is a good moment But in every situation, in every circumstances, I have learned one thing again and again and again of my sovereign, about my potentate, about my king of kings and Lord of lords. That he is always good, he is always right, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know him? Do you love him? I'm going to have Joel come up and and then Pastor Matt's going to come and lead us in a time of communion. But let me just end with this story. Many of us are familiar with the great Welsh revival that happened in the latter half of the 1800s. But not a lot of people understand the origin of the Great Welsh Revival. I mean, the the Welsh Revival, it lasted for 100 years. I mean, it was a significant revival. And not only did it impact and change Wales, it changed the UK and it impacted Europe, but also into Asia and South America. I mean, literally throughout the world, the Welsh Revival was a significant move of God's spirit in the world. But you know how it started? There was a prayer meeting. There was a small prayer meeting in Wales where there was a a young adult, a young lady that had just recently come to Christ that showed up at this small prayer meeting. And when these Christians were gathered to pray, this young new believer spoke up to pray and this is all she prayed. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you so much. The other Christians in the room, they were struck by that. These other Christians that were in the room, they had been church members for a long time. They had been walking with Jesus for a long time. But they realized, I don't love Jesus like this girl. So that moved something among this crowd of people, and they began to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me that I don't love you like that. I want to love you like that. And boom, the Spirit of God was poured out, and the great Welsh revival was on. Would to God that he would do that again. That in this room that there would be sincere hearts that would say Jesus I love you oh Jesus I love you so much father I pray for this precious body of believers Precious because you love them. Precious because each and every person here that confesses Christ as their Savior is blood-bought. And Jesus, we love.